and African Nets, and those of you African adjacent, The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. Uh, we have a uh, shout-out to Sister Cindy Ashby, and as always, shout-out to all the other uh, programs here in the On The Wake Up Radio family. Uh, shout-out to Brother Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing good. How y'all? Yeah, I'm here, and I, I am Oz Bryant. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, we got a good show lined up for you today. Um, uh, How's your week, Rob? Yeah, it's real good so far. So good so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, as always, we function in the spirit of St. Kofa, always looking back in order to move forward. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm always, uh, I always talk, not only do we have this podcast, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, fan, I'm a fan of the media. I genuinely am. And uh, so I, I keep up with what's going on out in the, uh, podcast affair, right? Podcast averse, that makes sense. Not you, you get it. <laughs> and um, uh, there was a short, uh, like, uh, true crime uh, podcast uh, that I was listening to entitled um, uh, Mississippi Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you talked about that before. It was about the murder of Billy Joe. So it's over. It was only about seven episodes. I think it's it's like it's an ongoing. Yeah, it was only about seven episodes. It's called Mississippi Goddamn. Uh, it was about uh, the murder of um, a high school football player in Mississippi uh, by the name of Billy Joe Johnson. All right, and um, and uh, so this investigation is occurring, like they're doing this, like, you know, they're re-interviewing witnesses. This is occurring like 13 years after the actual occurrence. So, uh, the murder. So, which means he was murdered in something like 2008. Well, well allegedly, right? <laughs> the, and um, so the, 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 the reporters, they're down in Mississippi, they're interviewing some of the police officers. And so, mind you, Mississippi and one of the white officers they interviewed saying, yeah, that race stuff doesn't exist in Mississippi anymore. He says, uh, people don't see color. That's what, <laughs> that's what he said. Oh. And I'm like, in Mississippi, or 2020, whatever have you, have you was, he said, people, I, we don't see color. And that reminded me, I was in a meeting once, and city councilman, Barry Gredenchik said the same thing. He says, he said he doesn't see color. 
Right. So, so again, so we're talking about uh, a white police officer in Mississippi, and we're talking about, uh, I guess, a Jewish city councilman in New York City. And they use this term, I don't see color. If I wanted to dive into that today, start our show off, Rob, what does it mean when someone says, and also, there was uh, Damon John, uh, many brothers and sisters from Southeast Queens know Damon John as the founder of FUBU. And in his book, the first couple pages, and I had to put it down because I couldn't get past it, he says that he praises this white guy, I guess a mentor of his, he said, oh, he never saw color. So, Rob, what, what do folks mean when they say they don't see color? I might be overly sensitive. I don't know if it's overly sensitive, but it depends on how you're taking it. I mean, memes are great. You know what memes are, right? Um, uh, expl- elaborate. Uh, act like I don't. <laughs> memes are like little snippets of culture. Um, if I were to say to you, time to make the donuts, depending on how right. old you are, you would ref- your mind would instantly go back to like those old Dunkin' Donuts commercials and their mascot. Okay. It's of an age. So everybody was exposed to that same commercial for so many years that that phrase became synonymous with that company. That's kind of what a meme is like. It's a cultural idea, so it's a shorthand that everybody gets. You don't have to elaborate on it. Everybody gets it. You know, like, you know, if, if you went back in time and said a line from a Humphrey Bogart movie that was real popular or something, and everybody got it, it was because everybody was exposed to that same media. So you didn't have to elaborate on the idea. You just had to say the joke or say the line and everybody gets it. We're all on the same page. That's how memes work. And they're a cultural function. They, they save us all time and ideas. They're shorthand ideas that we all already have in our head. So we can just refer to them back and forth. It makes communication great. That's kind of where that comes from. That's a cultural meme, and it's shorthand for, hey, 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 now, I'm not racist. I didn't make this decision because of race or because of your race specifically or my race. It's a way for them to quickly avoid that entire race conversation. But that's the point. I I think um, you say that we all understand. I don't think we all understand. <laughs> oh no, you do. I, I yes, you do. All understand. Did you understand? Did you understand his meaning and what he was trying to avoid or get to when he said it? Then you understood. No, I don't. Actually, that's why we have this discussion. Okay. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that's why, why. Why every time somebody says it. <laughs> okay. Like you ever I'm noticed? Sure. I'm well, what sure situation is it used in? What situation is it used in? It's always used in the same situation when it, that's when you're when a person is cornered or about a, a culturally sensitive or race sensitive topic and they yeah. don't want to use those terms. That's what's going to pop out. That's, now, that's okay. how that meme works. So what does it mean? So, OK, well, what happens if you see color? I mean, so so when you say I don't see color, that 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 that. So what happens if you do see color? That means, is that maybe he's guilty? I shoot, I shoot the nigga, I kill the nigga, what? When you see color, that means I got to kill him? Well, I'm not quite sure. So when you say, I don't see color, what are you really saying? 
what, so what's wrong with what I just said? It's that it's that color wasn't the defining part of what how this went down. What made that decision? But my point is, even if you saw the color, you shouldn't make the decision. So saying I don't see the color, it doesn't justify the action. You think? Sure, it does. <laughs> you're you the thing. I don't understand where you're. How you don't get it if you're. It's all about context. How can you not get it? What? But no, so the context is saying I should be invisible. No, the yeah, yeah, yeah. If you say if I don't no. see color, that means there's something wrong with the color. That if you see it, then that's going to lead to these other things. But why is that? I guess that's my point. I don't get. So no, what's wrong? you're, color. you're, <laughs> you're separating it. You're separating it from where you're separating the the meme and the the catchphrase and its meaning from its origin. So you're never going to get what it if that's the case. Its origin is. You said so yourself. If it's if we're dealing with a a situation like a Mississippi, you know, murder of a black person that's mysterious, the reason that a race typically comes up because of Mississippi's history that we all understand, we all are oh, familiar with. But I also brought up two instances that happened here in New York. James Johnson, Hollis Queen, and, and Barry Gudinchik is a city councilman from the town over. That's fine. The reason I'm focusing here is because, like I said, memes have power because of their cultural understanding and their shorthand. If you, I have point. If, I don't think if you, cultural understanding. I think uh, if you're if, if you're do. on one side, you see that one way, and if you're on the other side, you're like, whoa, well, hold up. <laughs> I don't think there's a understanding. I know I'm not the only person who thinks this way. I'm sure, but the, what I'm saying is. The reason that that phrase has any cachet or why it's still around or why it's used and how it's understood is because of how it functions. If you understand the history of the United States and Mississippi or places like it in general when it comes to color, if you didn't understand the history of the United States and those areas and color and how they were related, then that phrase, I don't see color, would have no meaning whatsoever in any context. It only has meaning because it's taking away or pointing away from that kind of history and that method of decision-making. My point is, this, this simple concept of me not seeing color, because that, that implies that if I see color, and, and of course I'm going to make that decision. But, see, but that, that's, not a, that's not a good response. You know what I mean? Not that, it's not that it implies <laughs> in, indefinitely. That it, it's not that it implies definitely that that's why the decision was made. That, that's the whole point of saying it, is to try and add some ambiguity to it. It's like, whoa, whoa, if is, anything, that's that, not why this happened. It's kind of like saying, case, it should be a case. It's so the same as if somebody busted you doing something. You're saying, no, it, it's, it is a, it's specifically addressing that. It's not trying to get away from it. it. By saying that, they're trying to deflect from it. So looking at it in another way, of course you won't understand it. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Anyway, I just thought that was a real interesting, again, because yeah, I, uh, I was just um, <laughs> recent. I'm, I'm not even talking about the 60s. No, I mean, because um, that's a current. Because that's part of newspeak. Of course, it's recent. That's the. If you don't want to address something, you deflect away from it, and that's what that is. That's, that's like a that's, it actually isn't because it gets you 
it's doing exactly what you what you did. I don't understand where you would get that from. Well, because you're not looking at what it's actually how it's actually supposed to function. You're looking at the actual words instead of what they're talking about. You understand? What are they talking about? They're talking about the fact that I'm not racist because I don't see color. <laughs> no, one ever, no one ever accused anybody of being racist. So. Sure <laughs> you did. No, I never accused you of being racist. Again, the situation is obviously that because you understand Mississippi. You under, if you understand the... I'm talking about Queens, New York. Barry Redemption said I don't see color. And what, was he, re- what was he saying that in reference to? He wasn't saying it in a vacuum. Right. So what was he saying it in reference to? He was saying it in reference to is a bunch of Indians in the room. I had brought up race. Right. I brought up. Mm-hmm. Race. Okay. There you go. And he said my he exactly. That's my point. Exactly. And, he didn't that, like that. <laughs> I mean, and I'm sure he chose them just for, white. you know, so, and if you were to, and if you were to bring that up, he would say, Oh, I don't see again, that, the catchphrase comes into play and it's a shorthand. It's a way of trying to diffuse the argument by saying that isn't ever a factor. I am so above it. I don't see race or culture. My point is that does not diffuse the situation. The fact when you, if you're going to tell me, I don't see you, that's why you're fine. Cause if I saw you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> right. You should see color and still make the right decision because it's the right thing to do. You're saying the assumption is that because you see color, that gives you justification for doing the wrong thing. They're using it. That's why it's a reply and not the default. It's the default reply. If you bring up any type of race or culture into any as an element in any situation by them saying, oh, I don't see that. Now they're trying to remove it as an issue or as a but it, fact, but, but, but that doesn't remove it as an issue. No, but they didn't see it. So it's not going to be an issue. Oh, you say you don't see it. So therefore it's not an issue. You shouldn't, you should be able to see it and not be an issue anyway. That's not a justification for it. not being an issue. It shouldn't be an By, issue no matter what. You shouldn't have to be invisible. <laughs> they do see you, but they see everything else because you may race a factor and point it to, Hey, was this a deciding factor? Or was this something that weighed on your decision? By no, them saying, I don't see it, it it's actually, supposed to diffuse it and move it on your attention to something actually, else. Actually, in both cases, all three cases, no one instigates it. It's just a statement that came up. And I'm talking about, I mean, so I'm talking about the okay. white officer in Mississippi. He didn't make that assumption, but he's talking to somebody and he understands that this is a white officer who killed a young black boy. And so he just makes that assumption. No one challenges it. That's when I say something about, um, I wasn't accusing Barry. Everyone's mind, everyone who's familiar with the history of the United States understands what you are saying or what the context is yeah. for a mysterious black death in a place like Mississippi or Alabama. And there's just like one random white cop on a lonely road or some shit. It's like, that's fishy. Cool. You don't have to be. But why do people understand? Why do people have that assumption automatically? Because of the history and the facts presented to us because of the long list of things that have happened before. So it's implied. It's already there. It's, it is the elephant in the room by him saying that he's trying to, 
he's trying to throw a, a blanket over that elephant so everybody can go back to socially ignoring what we know is standing in the corner. For you to say you don't understand how it's being used, that means you're purposely like not looking at it, how it's being used in actual conversation in all these different places. The reason a Jewish guy from New York will use it the exact same way as a Southern cop within the modern context is because it's shorthand for the same thing. He, but what is he talking about? It doesn't matter. Pay attention to what they're saying. And where they're no, saying, no, and no, there's saying, your answer. Yeah, I think that's what they're saying. They're saying, nigga, disappear, because I don't want to see you. <laughs> right? Because if I saw you, it'd be negative. Please don't see the black piece. Please don't see it. Nigga, please don't see it. Please, 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 please. please, please. He was giving somebody who he considered a mentor a pass. The statement is used the exact same way by all three individuals. It didn't matter who Damon Dash was. It didn't matter who Gordon Check was. That's, that's, that's how a mean functions. That is That's sad. what I'm telling you. You should never participate in your own oppression. You know what I mean? And, and uh, that happens, I mean, all the, that that happens a lot. That's part of being part of not... If you what have you a dominant culture, well, yes, people do that shit to themselves all the time. Because yeah, they, man. Yeah, you got to stop doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. You, you have yeah, to stop I mean, and examine the world around you or else you will just function like a robot. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. Preach it, brother. I mean, it, it, it was inevitable. Like, as soon as you said it, I'm listening to it, and, and it's just a podcast, right? True crime. I mean, they're not solving it, right? Um, half the evidence doesn't exist anymore. There was no fingerprints on the gun. They can't. But as soon as you said it, it, it I'm not sure if it's a trigger, but I just thought of all these other instances. And I said, oh, they, they, we got to talk about this. Anyhow. <laughs> um, uh, you might know this. Gregory Meeks, does he sit on the Ways and Means? He does Ways and Means. No, foreign Affairs, Foreign Affairs, right? He does Ways and Means, Foreign Affairs, and Finance. Right. He does Foreign Affairs, right? And and and, and um, so this week, again, we always function in the spirit of Sankofa. Um, Charles Diggs. Many of you have heard me mention Charles Diggs multiple times upon these airwaves. And that's because, man, when I think about representation, uh, political representation, electoral electoral politics, I mean, Charles Diggs is really in a sphere all his own. I mean, even even when compared to uh, 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 Adam Clay Powell. You know, uh, so Charles Diggs was a congressman from Michigan. Right. <laughs> Obviously, he was elected by Detroit. He he was a congressman at the time. The country only had three black congressmen. Right. Chicago, Harlem and Detroit. Um, I mean, the, those congressional districts that those mm-hmm. cities fall within or those parts of cities fall within. And, uh, you know, Charles Diggs was he was at the murder trial for mm-hmm. Emmett Till. You know, he was there in the room in Mississippi. Right? He made sure <laughs> that he was in attendance in Mississippi, not in his district. Um, he was one of the, uh, he was the first chair of the National Black Caucus, right? The Black Congressional Caucus, sorry. The Black Congressional Caucus. He was the first chairman. He, he was a founding member, right? Um, Back when and, the CDC did stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, man, listen, that's the point. And. I mean, they still do stuff. They just might be doing it for Asians instead. <laughs> <laughs> he was on, on, on the Foreign Affairs Committee. 
Right, just like regular Zeke. And I thought that was remarkable. But uh, he was also a delegate to the UN. The remarkable thing would be seeing what they each did with their seats. Oh, oh, that's the point. That's my point here. So he resigned uh, this week back in 1971. He resigned his position as a UN delegate uh, over the uh, American support of South Africa during apartheid uh-huh. in protest. He didn't like the, I mean, <laughs> of course, as any decent human being, he didn't like uh, the apartheid system and the fact that... Um, that was just because he, he saw color. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't and, see and that the they were just trying to have their own rules in their nation. I don't know what he was always saying about. The world, right? <laughs> So, um, and he resigned, and I was just thought, like, damn, you're right, you know, and then you start reflecting back on the Emmett Till situation, because he actually saw himself as an advocate for all black people, but he saw himself as an advocate uh, on, on all levels, and, um, yeah, I just want to, I just, you know, when you think about representation, right, these are the standards you should have, all right, now, now we have, like, um, Clyburn, right? <laughs> Clyburn actually thinks he's better than Gregory Meeks. And he probably is. Right? Depends. Well, it depends on what they're measuring, what they're using to measure by. You know, uh, if you're just talking his, about his pork. ability and his activity in his own community. If Everybody you're talking about activity in his own community, then sure, he's head and shoulders. <laughs> but then is, again, what is that? But now, what does that turn into internally and externally? Where do your loyal, you know, what's your greater responsibility? That there's a lot at play there too. You could be doing good for your district, but how? How did you bring that pork back? What did you have to sacrifice to get it, and how did you get it? You know, there's a lot. No, I mean, it's simple to say that the representative's job is just to bring back pork from Washington. That's easy to say, but where does it go, and how does it get spent? That counts for a lot. That's my point. You know? When I say he's he's visible, he's visible. He's built a lot of institutions, libraries, mm-hmm. uh, gyms, um, mm-hmm. recreation centers. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's buildings right, right there. There's like, all over Columbia, South Carolina. The thing yeah. that's the clobber. <laughs> clobber this, clobber that, right? Um, you know, Meek doesn't have those kind of interests. And, but my, no. the point I was trying to make is that. You know, but his house standards, has many additions. The standards we look at is what's horrible, right? We say, oh, I'm not as bad as him. But that's not a standard you should be looking at. Right? That's not, that's not, that doesn't say, that doesn't mount to a hill of beans when you say, um, uh, James Saunders is the best politician in Southeast Queens. That doesn't <laughs> mount to a hill of beans. Yeah. You know? And so that's why we, I, I appreciate Charles Diggs Jr., because he actually functions as an elected official and as a standard. Right? Well, I mean, if the bar is set that low in our area and in our era, you know, that, that's what they're going by. What was it that our friend said the, the other day? This is going to stick with me for a minute now, you know, but basically the lowest common denominator. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. That, that's the environment we're working in. So if, you know, your choices, if they've limited the choices to between shit sandwich A versus shit sandwich B, and you're, you know, you're very proud of shit sandwich B. You you don't understand the rest of us who are like, we don't want a shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you 
and you're fully behind your team's sandwich, you just don't get it. To, to, to you, the rest of us who refuse the fecal sandwich are the weirdos. And that's, that's their mindset. That's their cult fixation right now. It's either sandwich red or sandwich blue. And God help you if you think for yourself. No yeah, sustenance yeah. for you. I mean, that, that, that line from Du Bois when he talks about um, when you learn, does learning make you unhappy? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> That's what he said. And yes. It, yes. You, don't have to, you don't even have to be bookish or understand who Du Bois is. That old wisdom, ignorance is bliss. They weren't talking. The person who said it was wise enough to realize, I wish I didn't know any of this shit. <laughs> But the more you know, the more you know that you, A, don't know, and B, have to worry about. That is the truth. And you start putting shit together and dots start stacking. <laughs> <laughs> Not fun. <laughs> there are times you wish you could turn it off. Like you know? you're, looking down at, you're looking down at the paper, you're looking up at the world. You look down mm -hmm. at the paper. if you take the job as a politician, honestly, you're so, ideally you should be an advocate of sorts. You're, you're, that's why it's called a representative. You are representing the needs and desires of those who have put you in that seat. But now if in many cases, they, they do consider the people who pay for their campaign, the ones they're representing your votes come secondary sometimes in a lot of these people's minds. You see folks, I don't, I'm not just being an asshole. I don't just go after Gregory Meeks cause no, I go after him because I know him. You said that you know, I don't say this stuff. I don't make shit up about people. <laughs> I know these characters. <laughs> so, you know, but that's not what the job description is. That's what we've allowed it to become. If you flip the burgers and you know how to advocate, right? From that position, that means everybody is in a is in a constant state of advocacy. Therefore, you can't let him slide. We don't have that same culture as well, we I mean, used to. My point is that that's what we probably need, right? That, uh, sure, I would love, but that a lot of those ideas and a lot of those things that would make that kind of culture popular and make it survive on life support and have been for decades, have been for the majority of my life. The closest you come to that kind of representation you're talking about is seeing some fool running around in dashiki. That doesn't cut it. You need actual advocacy. You need people, something more than Nicki Minaj being out there being the only one talking about prison reform. That should, or when it comes to health care, these should not be your only advocates. Be grateful for the ones we have. But the fact that these are, that's the best we can do right now, that's, that's, that's my point. Low. The point is, because we're waiting for somebody else to do it. If you had a culture, you wouldn't be waiting for somebody else to do it. You'd be taking responsibility. Well, it's not just, it, it's not a matter of just waiting for someone to do it, though. Look, part of it is exposure. 
All right. In, in the instance that I brought up with Nicki Minaj and with, uh, or you could even, these were pe- these are entertainers, but they were getting recognition from the White House, which should be a place where policy goes to. So these were people who were being tapped and used for their notoriety and their fame around a message. But there was very, in very rare cases, is there actual policy that's being pushed. They're being used in some cases to bring light to a policy that's already in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, I mean, celebrities probably occupy too much. Again, when I talk about mental side, <laughs> celebrities probably occupy too much space in our head to begin with. Also, sure, so definitely. The celebrity is used to sell us everything, from our yes, politics yes. to our food to our and clothing. Yeah, yeah, of course, because we're a sick society, dude. Capitalism is not a healthy function. Capitalism is not based on a healthy exchange. It's based on an exploitive exchange, or else you don't end up with extra, so you can't build capital. Sit tight, brothers and sisters, Africans and Africanettes, and we'll be right back. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back. A little break there. Keep on moving. Don't stop you. Yeah, we ain't going to stop neither. (laughs) We ain't fitting to stop neither. So um, uh, uh, next, uh, we wanted to get into... Remember Steve Biko, Steve Biko, South Africa, oh. um, and I thought it was appropriate, right? Because uh, uh, Charles Diggs resigned from the UN, uh, protesting apartheid in South Africa. He he protested apartheid in South Africa a little bit too. <laughs> um, uh, true story. See, if they had some oil in South Africa, we could have just invaded and given them freedom. Well, that's gold. They're much quicker. <laughs> they're gold and diamonds. Gold doesn't work as much. <laughs> we we need drill. We need drilling material. Anyhow, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, Steve Biko. Yeah, I was saying. Now, I, I grew. Yeah, I'm in Queens, so I grew up as a tribe called Quest fan, and there was Ooh. a song called Steve Biko. But I mean, it probably was ten or fifteen years later that I realized who Steve Biko was. <laughs> <laughs> like from the time that album came out, I think it was Midnight Marauders, Steve Vico. I mean, it just uh, paid homage to him. It wasn't about him or anything like that. I thought it was a friend of theirs or Steve Vico, some kind of synonym. But uh, yeah, Steve Vico. Um, uh, that's you know, a big part of the problem, too, though. Tribe Called Quest, that's a big part of the problem, too, though. Tribe Called Quest was pretty mainstream for a while. If, if you were around in that era of hip-hop, Tribe Called Quest wasn't something that you, you know, would mention if you would be like, who? But if you, you look at nowadays, when it comes to the music industry specifically, you don't have that same kind of protest vein. If you want to have that kind of music that's actually got substance, it's talking about something more than just getting fucking high and getting laid, you've you, you got to search for it. It's not as prevalent as it used to be. Back in the 60s and 70s when people were, you know, dealing with shit, there was a vein of, there was an entire vein of music that was focused on issues. Artists were more vocal about that. And that music sold. That music got airtime, got play. A lot of them we consider classics today. You know, you don't, you're not going to, how do you have an entire 20-year conflict in an unpopular war 
It was literally started by people making shit up. You know, remember the weapons of mass destruction? They were like basically just a poorly drawn children's cartoon. How do you have that? And you don't even have songs going, Hey, we maybe don't want to do that again. (laughs) Uh, That right there shows you the state of culture within the United States. uh, Yeah. So yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I think culture, yeah, so there might not actually be an American culture. I'll say that, right? It's too many different uh, facets of it. It's too big of a place. Yeah, I think it's a lot of commercialism uh, that kind of uh, yeah. in and drives things. But I, I wouldn't call that culture. No, it's right? also regional, too. The United States is pretty big. So there is a, there is a they've tried to manufacture a, a United States culture. That's part of it. You you have to try and dissolve it down into that one commercial culture if you want to sell it. But when it comes to an actual native culture and identity, they tried to make they tried to standardize that for a long time. It hasn't been successful as recently, but they that was a long term project. So back to back to Steve Biko in South Africa. I mean. He, he was active uh, again, so you know he had everything. He's con- he's running concurrent to the Black Power movement here in the United States, and uh, he's heavily influenced by the Black, Black Panther, you know, the, the Black Power movement, uh, and also Franz Fanon, and so uh, he is considered widely considered as the father of Black consciousness in, in South Africa, right? Um, I I always tell folks, you know, like, so again. Black is a listen to what you just said. Black consciousness in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, that's real. I mean, it's real. Um, (laughs) That statement alone. It's when 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 you see things that are messed up, and all you see are black faces, like uh, prototypical black faces, stereotypical Mm -hmm. black faces. Then that's what you see. You don't understand the larger things going on outside of it. They're invisible to you. Um, I've, 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 I've said in the past, uh, the, well, South Africa should be easy, right? <laughs> but uh, America and South Africa are the two best places if you want to be black and to really truly understand the black experience. Everything else is going to be confusing, right? Whether that be Haiti, whether that be Jamaica, whether that be Ghana, Nigeria, everything else is going to be real confusing. If you come from a, if you came from an African nation that was, that was pretty successful and predominantly black, and then you do immigrate someplace or were to visit South Africa back then, or we say we say we say we said pretty successful. What do you mean by pretty successful? Independent, economically stable. <laughs> that doesn't exist, my brother. <laughs> you know what I mean. This was there, there, are Afri- there are African nations that are, you know, at least economically stable. No, they are not. Are no, yeah. They're not economically independent. No. Economically independent and economically stable are different things. And economically, economically independent and economically stable are two different stable? things. That's why and I stable said not for black stable. stable <laughs> not stable for the black citizen. Okay. The, the if if a, if a country in Africa is stable, it is not stable for any of the black citizens. For the black citizens, for the majority of black folks, there is no nas- no no economic stability. Um, in Africa, either there's more economic stability for blacks here. So the it's easier 
to be black in America, right? Uh, because you see everything. Yeah, I would even say further down south. I think you, you, you might have a misconception even in places like Harlem, Detroit, Chicago. And so it's easier when you can see the force straight up and direct. And so um, I, I've advocated for even the HBCUs. So like black student unions, you're pretty much going to see black student unions at white schools, right? Black schools, HBCUs, take it for granted, and you won't see them there. But you probably need them there as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, 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 the black consciousness is not necessarily a given. Um, and just doesn't pull out the then sky. What would be the point of Howard University? Uh, because uh, just because you have a bunch of Negro faces doesn't mean you got black identities and black consciousness. You have a bunch of Negro faces. Then that university isn't performing its function as a university. Well, because race is so complicated, most folks don't understand it, right? That's, that's why we're happy. That's why you will Why would you to- need an HBCU? Why would you need HBCU? Because yes. you you want to show that you can start schools too. A lot of these schools were start founded by blacks, right? That's why mostly black. It's not just that you could start a school; it's that you needed to start your own school so you could educate your people to provide these basic functions for survival. And, the, that's, and they, they do that's that. why you started a black school. You also. Uh, need to uh, foster a consciousness so it still remains rough. It's still um, the black consciousness doesn't is you take it don't you shouldn't take it for granted that it's there. If you're if you're instilling the same culture and mindset in your students at Howard that they are at Yale, then you're not an HBCU. Yeah, well, HBCU means historically. Black colleges and universities. Okay. So they're more, you know, so this for if you are, are free, if you free. are creating and instilling that same culture in your students at an HBCU, well, then you can are at Yale, then you are not performing the function of an HBCU. You should not True. be. You can't. Right, because the HBCU is founded by blacks. Yale's founded by whites. Right. But I'm saying that you still need a black student union no matter what. Right? You shouldn't take black for granted, is my point. Well, black, you isn't, a, black isn't a monoculture. We've got a lot of different black. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And you got folks who want to avoid it. So you still need, even, even now, if you any kind of group is supposed to have a bunch of uh, ideas. Socialists are monolithic needs. So now, what is the goal of sending your kid or a, a person, whatever, attending a university? So they can be, uh, they can find themselves, they can be exposed uh, to ideas, uh-huh. right? And so they can create. That is the function of education, right? To create. When you're sending these people, or when people are attending a university, why are they doing it? Is it just to enrich themselves, or is it, why are they doing it? Should be for enrichment, right? Because you, t- you don't need a university to get a job. You can get a job as soon as you turn 16, uh-huh. turn 18. So no, yeah, so it is for enrichment. <clears throat> what you mean, 
They're doing it so they can get a job that earns in the hundreds of thousands. No, you don't. Yeah, I don't think school. No school guarantees you. Harvard, Harvard doesn't guarantee no job in a hundred thousand. Nobody does that. They don't guarantee it, but that's pretty much what people are sold. If you want to have, they'd be wrong. I think that's silly. If you want to have upper mobility, if you want to have upper mobility and a secure middle class existence income, yeah, that was the deal. Supposedly, but you went to college. Money, and money doesn't guarantee you. Money doesn't guarantee you. Money is part of that. My point in going through this is that yeah. part of that training to get into that middle class existence was indoctrination and acculturation. So you can't expect to coexist in the cul-de-sac universe and still maintain a positively, you know, black identity. But you'll never be able to. We just do it all the time. What was that? Jews and Asians do it all the time. No, it's oh, hidden. You and you know that. If you go if you ever actually go into do outreach and shit in these cul de sac areas, that shit is hidden. They don't have the flags out front. They're not celebrating Diwali on their front lawn. Yes, they it's no, they don't. Not oh, if you go into these communities. You see the little flags on the front lawn. Queens Village is not the kind of communities we're talking about. So stop. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. They have flags on the front Queens lawn. Village, because Queens <laughs> Village is a neighborhood. Queens Village is not the little private gated cul-de-sac communities that we're talking about. Okay. Queens Village doesn't even have the fucking individual per capita income that we're talking about. So no, Queens Village is nice. We like it here because we got lawns and houses and space to breathe and trees and shit. But that is not the neighborhood that we're talking about. That is not the fucking neighborhoods that were drawn up and designed to be suburbs that we were barred from. That's the existence that we're talking about. That's the quote-unquote social sphere that those colleges are supposed to allow you access to. And part of that training, part of granting you access to that was stripping away everything else and becoming part of that American monoculture that you alluded to earlier. I never said that. What did yes, you, you say? Did. You heard me say that? No, I'm sorry. Man. I apologize if that's what, if, if that if those words came out of my mouth. I deeply apologize. Well, there's no need to apologize because I think it's true. No, one of my no, favorite, no, one no, of my no. favorite corpses no, to no, kick no, around. No, no, no. One of my it's favorite corpses to kick around predicted it, and I'll be damned if that devil wasn't dead on. Predicted Bernay, when it came. Television and movies, the media are one of the strongest instruments. It can be used for education or it can literally destroy you. By showing you that picture of the world, it will frame that world for you. And that's what our media does. That's why you don't have the kind of representation and activism that you used to have. That's why we have to settle for the best representation we can come up with is Serena Williams. And that's not to shit on her. She's a great athlete, but that's pretty much the peak. The pinnacle. We get good athletes to speak for us. You know, athletics don't run the world. Finance runs the world. So I would rather have a black face attached to high finance somewhere to speak for me. Because then at least they can get into the halls of power. They don't have to worry about whether or not legislation is going to reflect their desires. That's what we're missing. 
I mean, I, I slightly disagree, but I won't, I won't, I won't argue that point. Uh, Put it to you this way. Jamie Dimon don't have to worry about getting what he wants in legislation. Serena Williams ain't going to get shit for you except for a better tennis racket. What's going to improve your life? Yeah, but I'm just saying, I, I'm not going oh yeah, to dive into the semantics of that. But, yeah, I get your, I get your point. Um, you know, athletes speaking for us and comedians speaking for us, that, that stuff is a joke. But um, it's it's literally entertainment. So if your I'm whole saying, function is just entertainment within a society, then that's my great. Original, my original but if you want to be more than just a jester, then you need to have that kind of representation, and that has been denied to us. What what I was trying to what I was referencing was the fact that you know speaking of Steve Biko and being the father of black consciousness in South Africa, and again he only died in the seventies. Uh, that um, uh, the same way that you need. African uh, black consciousness, even in black communities, you need even here in black in black environments. Well, so quote unquote black environments, because we shouldn't take that for granted. Because that you don't want to assume someone. Oh, he's black, so he understands. That's why you got folks who. That's why Clyde Vanell can feel he can run for an office, and all, mm-hmm. if he's the only black, he's, he'll be fine, right? He don't got to do nothing for you. He can he can literally loaf around. He dropped out, by the way, as as well as everybody else. Hey, the famous ex- hey man, the, another famous quote: "If you don't vote for me, you ain't blackjack." <laughs> that that yeah, shit is immortal. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. That's how they view it. It's not about any time you can have the head of a of the party say some shit like that. You have to understand how they actually view politics. It's not about policy. It's literally about you're part of my group, so you have to vote for me. He wasn't making that appeal based on policy, what he's going to do for you, how he would improve your life, how he would just even it out so you could improve your own life. Fuck him doing anything for you. Make it so that I can just do for me. None of that was on the agenda. None of that yeah, even within that the scope of what they consider politics. Yeah, that was highly insulting. Yeah, that was real insulting. Was, was, but, yeah. <laughs> but shout out to Steve Biko. Um, let's move next to, again, Steve Biko was born this week back in 1946, by the way, uh, David Walker. So David Walker, <laughs> our show's namesake, you know, the appeal, the, 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 the text, the appeal, uh, is what David Walker is best known for, but he was also an orator, an orator in his own right. Um, uh, and he gave a speech this week in, back in 1828 called The Necessity for a General Union Among Us, right? And, um, again, so you got to recall, he died at 30, 33 or something like that, 32, maybe 34. I, I, should, I should know that, but uh, he died in the early 30s. And, in the um, 1800s, so that kind of counts. Nah, he was killed. <laughs> and so... Um, he gave his speech talking about the general. The so there's always been divisions in black life, right? Black is a monolithic. Uh, and uh, I'm reminded of when I read Martin Delaney again, same period in time. Well, 20 years later, uh, I told you he was he was trying to advocate that blacks leave the United States, right? He said we can't find um, equality here. I mean, Abraham Lincoln said the same thing. No, Abraham Lincoln won just to, all right, we're done now, bye. 
That, that was yeah. solving a, that was a different way of solving a problem. I'm just not a big fan of that whole let's leave idea. People don't, you don't make some shit and then leave it. No, well, he, the idea is that he never, he, Abraham Lincoln didn't see the races coexisting. Martin Delaney didn't see the races coexisting. All right. And so, and Martin Delaney said, if you build okay, something, but you can you know build what? it again. He said, uh, he said five years ago, San Francisco was nothing. And now it's mm-hmm. a bustling city, right? Yeah. If you can build something, you can build it again. And so therefore let's go to the wilderness. He said, he said, uh, so then why do the European powers still have colonies? Why do the European powers? Because they're still building things, right? They're building things, yeah. building things and building things and building things. That's why I'm not for that whole, let's just pick up and leave and start over again. Shit. No, because all you're going to do is pick up, leave, start over again. And then here comes that same armada over the hill. Then here comes that same bunch of red coats. It's a pattern. Stop running away from your shit. No. Stop running away. This is, this is, this is 1850s. <laughs> this is the, the middle of the state. You still I mean, hear the same I, I, thing I, I, now. You I still hear the same appeal now. That's why I said what I said. Yeah, and, and, actually, and it's called Liberia, and he was arguing that we shouldn't go to Liberia because slave owners wanted you to go to Liberia to get rid of all the free blacks so they wouldn't have you antagonizing the enslaved blacks. Yes. And that's how he interpreted it. He said, so we're not going to go there, even though they'll pay for a passage there. We shouldn't go there. Even though it might appeal to your heart, we shouldn't go to Liberia. And he said, let's go to Central America instead. That was Martin Delaney. In New York, in the 1850s, who says um, she was marveling at what San Francisco is. I guess she was had some wealth. And he said, we can build our own in the jungles of Central, of Central America. Right? We can start our own civilization. You know, it'd be us. It'd be us. We build it from the ground up. And it'd she said, us right next door to the Nazis that escaped. It'd be great. And she said, <laughs> I guess 1850s, <laughs> I'm free enough right here. So she's a black woman in the midst of slavery saying I'm free enough right here. Slaves getting um, brought back into slave, free blacks, not even slaves, right? It ain't nothing but I'm to knock you over the head like uh, South Northup and bring you down there and say, okay, you lost your papers, right? And that you are a slave, right? So even, even your freedom was very, you know, Tentative. Tenuous. <laughs> she just said, I'm free enough right here. She wasn't willing to go start her own thing, right? Um, I say that to say, uh, black here. So black ideas are not monolithic. <laughs> and so uh, uh, David Walker was saying we should have put those a lot of those things to the side in order for us to organize against this group called slavery. Uh, again, he, but the group—it wasn't a group. That was a cultural ideal. I, said, I, said, I didn't say group. I said brutes. Oh, that brute! Yeah. Right. So, um, and that also separate. That's still kind of separate. That's still giving the people who actually instituted slavery and kept it going and profited from them kind of an out. This brute called slavery. No, this was this was what you did. This was this was a function and a sanctioned part of government. Okay, so we still try and do that even today. We we look for the that's the whole point behind the craze about the you know uh, racial theory. You know, it, 
It's because they, the last thing most Americans want to do is actually own up to and pay attention to the fact that how fucked up our history actually is. It is not all George Washington and the cherry tree. Well, I mean, that's why he's, he was advocating for armed resistance, David Walker was. Uh, even in this speech here, right? Uh, uh, he was advocating for armed resistance. And mind you, so this is the 1820s. Mm-hmm. That means everywhere still, because slavery, slavery was still, uh, I think slavery was abolished. In uh, in the rest of the world around 1831, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, around the same time as Nat Turner, right? <laughs> Go figure, right? Uh, the 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 uprisings, everybody else quit, but uh, America kept it going for another 20 years. But um, it was our economic and agricultural base, of course. It was their economic base too, <laughs> but it became unsustainable. <laughs> All right, because uh, I mean, I mean. Uh, they was, I mean, slave owners, even if it was their base, they were scared for their lives, let's be real. You know what I mean? Especially after Nat Turner, which is, again, is around the same time you period. They were scared for their lives. You can't keep anyone in that position for long and not be scared for your life. You know what you're doing. Because most of these communities, the blacks outnumbered the slave owners yeah. <laughs> by multiples. <laughs> That's why you have to use force. It wasn't like they were just like, you know, we got you some new shingles on that shack. You know, hey, want to go back out in the field? It, it wasn't a, it, well, there was no equal exchange here. You can't do that to any sentient human without the overwhelming threat of force. And so, that, and when, I guess it. you use force, you, you got to yeah. anticipate that force will be used back on you, right? You did, you and rightfully so. That's called justice. <laughs> it's called justice. They're right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the last thing I wanted to do, touch on today before we close out, was uh, uh, Queen Nzinga, right? Um, so she died today. So Queen Nzinga of Angola, um, again, back in the 1600s. So she led a resistance against those same European powers, oh. right? <laughs> um, I mean, so, yeah, right? Cause so you had the 1619 Project. Uh, a lot of those folks didn't come freely, and 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 contrary to popular belief, right, uh, there was absolute resistance in the 1600s. Uh-huh. All right, um, and uh, Queen Nzinga in Angola led it for her her kingdom, uh, which was the Ambundu <laughs> Kingdom in 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 Dongo, uh, in Dongo, and uh, Matamba, Matamba, which is uh, present day. Angola, or so she, I should say her, she's Angolan. Angola didn't exist. That's a European <laughs> uh, 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 creation. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so just, uh, and and why why that significant? So Queen Nzinga led the resistance for her people. So this is black female leadership in Africa in the 1600s, right? Uh, just to remind folks that, you know, we've always had black female leadership in black life, right? no, that's the the idea of misogyny and, and paternalism is really a European concept. All right, um, part of it, a lot of this comes from our inability to control the media, our inability to have a reliable voice in mass media. It pollutes so much of our history and makes it seem like the fact that you have relics and archaeological sites in Africa that show what we've been able to accomplish as a people all over the world that honestly makes Stonehenge look like a hobo's campfire. But that is held up as an 
a, a standout monument of ancient mankind. <laughs> a couple of rocks piled together. <laughs> By comparison, I'm not saying it's, you know, complete trash, but if you really look at the record of mankind and what we've been doing for a long time, it, you you got to really take a step back and go, oh, shit, they really are just telling a quarter of the story. You know, and that's a big part of this. Because Hallelujah. it's being told with a implicit bias for a reason. You know, again, I've referenced him before. My favorite corpse to kick around, Edward Bernays, because he set the mold for how they would mindfuck an entire nation. And it's still in play. It's everywhere. Uh, that, that leads me to another idea. Uh, oh, well, I, I sent it to you earlier. I'm not sure if you got a chance to check it out. So, again, I'm a fan of podcasts, right? <laughs> and uh, some of my best friends are. So last week's episode had to do with uh, uh, Jewish culture. And so uh-huh. they interviewed Sacha, Sacha Penn. Uh-huh. Um, Sacha Penn is a school friend of... Uh, one of the co-hosts. Um, so, yeah, some of my best friends are is Dr. Khalil Gibran Muhammad, again, grandson of Elijah Muhammad, uh, who, you know, he, I guess he grew up a little bit privileged, somewhat, right? <laughs> From what you told me before, the shit that surprised him, yes, just a bit. And so, and so, um, uh, and his his best friend, is this uh, Jewish white guy? They grew up in a black area, right? It was a black community. Um, and uh, Ben is his best friend. Ben is Jewish. And so now um, Ben's friend that he gained when he went to college, because, you know, um, Cabril, Cabr- Cabril, Cabril and Ben didn't go to school together. I mean, college together. They went to high school together. And is this guy by the name of Sacha Chen? So Ben and Sacha are both writers now, right? Um, uh, ben is a journalist, and Sacha Penn is the writer and creator of Power, oh. the TV show. And he talked about how he writes black stories, right? His characters are black, right? Power is a black oh. show. And, sure. I, and I got to thinking, right? and he talked about how Jew, I mean, these are Jew Jews, right? I mean, Jew oh. Jews, right? Surviving the Holocaust type oh. Jews. And I was like, you know, are there any black writers who write about non-black Jewish life, non-black Jewish stories? Does that even exist? What would be right. the market? What? <laughs> what would be the market? <laughs> Jews, yeah. The same way that he's writing <laughs> blacks, and the market will be black folks, right? Yeah, but look at the stuff that he writes for black people. Who, honestly, maybe I'm the wrong person, but I don't want to sit back and see another story about glamorizing drug dealing and that being our way out. Because let's face it, I don't need to see that negative shit. Power's not a positive thing. Empire wasn't a positive thing. None of these things are positive role models. None of these things are showing black life in a positive light. But our point is, it's not blacks writing it. Of course it isn't blacks writing it, but that's the shit that's on TV. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Anytime, if I was a black writer, if I decided to go to Hollywood and try and write some shit about a bunch of gangster Jews show, selling crack up in the Chabad, guess what? They're not going to option that fucking show <laughs> and nobody's going to produce it. And that's, that's the question I was asking. All right. I, I wanted to get to, right? I didn't, I didn't go directly there. 
I just ask, you know, are there any blacks who write uh, non-black? Well, that's why you have me on, so I can go there. Fuck that racist bullshit. You would never get the opportunity. They would never bankroll the opportunity for you to denigrate them, even if you were telling some true shit. That's my point. Now, you can roll up in there and just completely make some shit up about us, and it'll be a national, you know, we're going to put this on ABC. You're going to be famous. That's the difference. That's what happens when you don't control your own narrative. And and I just, I'm not sure folks are the same way. Your opponent gets to be on dynasty. You get to be on power. There you go. And, and that's that's really what I want people to start challenging, right? Challenging these ideas that you take for normal, right? So you take for granted. Right? Of course, also you got you got a Jew guy, right? And there's, there's people who think so. Obviously, Fifty has no problem with it, right? I mean, how much is he making off of it? How much control does he have? I don't really care about the dollars. How much control does he have? Right. I care about the dollars because you know what? I care about the control. I mean, no, I care about the dollars because if you if you had any self respect, <laughs> if you had any self respect for the message and what you were doing, it wouldn't matter how many dollars they're shoving at you. That's, that's what I'm saying. I don't care about the dollars. I care about the power. How much control and power does he have? Yeah. And that's really what they yeah, can say you got as much power as they want. I'm interested in the dollar because I want to know how much your ass was sold for. That's the point. You had a price and they met it, or else this shit wouldn't be on TV with your name on it. Well, I'm saying that the price wouldn't make me feel any better or good at just the fact that you did it. I mean, even if you sold for $10 or you saved for a million dollars or sold for $10 million, I'm not feeling better. So that's it's not, not about feeling better. I want to know. Feel better, so. It's not about feeling better. I want to know how they got you so I know how to avoid you. It's about knowing what your weak points are. I don't need you on my team if I know you for sale. Oh, you can't cool. help me. You can't support me because you are for sale. <laughs> I mean, if you for sale, you for sale. The price point don't matter. But, um, I uh, mean, that's, 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 <laughs> That's a good way to close out for today. I mean, cool. <laughs> got a good one. Oh man, um, you have any closing thoughts for the brothers and sisters out there in the on the wake up radio world? Don't be afraid to see color unless it that scares you or something. So don't let color scare you. Don't let culture scare you. Um. <laughs> okay. Cool. 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 I don't see color. What the hell's wrong with you? Colorblind? Some glasses? <laughs> I'm a quote. I'm a, I'm a quote two lines from Steve Biko, and not one but two. <laughs> First, the most the most potent weapon of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Mm. And second, black consciousness is an attitude of the mind and a way of life. It's the most positive call to emanate from the black world for a long time. Shout out to Sister Cindy Ashby. Shout out to all the Africans and Africanettes. And those of you who are African adjacent. Till next time, the appeal. Peace. Linden Boulevard represent, represent, Zen Tribe Core Quest represent, represent, Zen. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Deang. On the wake up. You, the people, have the power. The power to create happiness. Let us use that power. Let us all unite.
just fight for a new world. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us all otwtube.com uncensored free speech platform